G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day everyone, I'm Rowan Connolly. I'm Mark Fine. And this is Footyology. Finey, we're back in town. Good to see you. Good to be seen by you, Roko. And as a brand new AFL season upon us, we're here to take you through every game played each weekend, give you the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, which is us, and of course, our world-famous rant-off Finey, where two middle-aged men just howl at the moon for about a minute each. One reads it, the other one actually howls. Sort of ad libs, but we'll get to that later in the program. What'd you make around one? Um, look at the top end. I think Richmond and GWS, who were top end teams, were impressive. Hawthorne, uh, obviously. You know what's the new black is possessions. How about some of the numbers? Not just Mitchell, but uh, across the board, some really big numbers for the elite midfielders. He speaks, of course, of Tom Mitchell setting a new world record. Yes, we're going to do what American sport does of fifty-four possessions in that win. Over the pies, round one can throw up some rogue results, but I think there's a couple which might be a reasonable indicator of what we can expect over the whole season. We're going to go through each game in detail now. Let's go to our wraparound. Rightio, nine games to get through. We're going to feature three each week, go into some depth on them. We're going to get through all the others in a little less detail after them. Our first feature game is the big Friday night game at Etihad Stadium finally between Essendon and Adelaide. Essendon, 14-15-99, defeated Adelaide, 12-15-87. Your thoughts? I know that you look at the game and sort of say that Essendon played well for 20 minutes and really base... uh, Good night's work on barely a quarter's work, but I disagree. I think what we saw from Essendon was an encouraging, a really encouraging, different midfield. That's always the question, isn't it, coming into the season? Joe Watson not there. How much hardness through the middle Essendon have got? Uh, Kyle Langford played a really decent game of football. But uh, uh, We'll come to that. We'll come to that. Keep going. Okay. Uh, James Stewart played his best game, I think, for the Bombers. We'll come to that. <laughs> yes. But I just saw, thought that Adelaide, without Walker and Lynch, were really getting the best possible results out of some players that aren't regulars in the side. I didn't mind the way Essendon basically you know, kept the, kept the flood from happening, kept the finger in the dike. But when it was time to go, good to their reputation, they went. So I thought it was good for Essendon that their poorer football didn't bleed like it did last year. A yeah. really good sign. No, I agree with that entirely. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not selling them short because, you know, they've ended up beating a grand finalist and a team that finished on top of the ladder last year. I guess the one reservation is the list of Adelaide absentees, which was pretty considerable, wasn't it? You know, you take Walker and Lynch out of any forward line, they're going to struggle. 
Brad Crouch, really important midfielder. Okay, well, Crouch is out for a, a sustained period. Yeah. Walker is problematic. I'm telling you he's problematic. There are many games where Tex Walker is more liability than asset. His figures last year belie that. Yeah. I, I've fallen for the Tex Walker isn't that great trap, and then you look at the numbers, the numbers suggest he's pretty good. Yeah, he's a bit of a flat-track bully, I think you'll find. Yeah, okay, him. okay. And there wasn't a lot of flat-track bullying to be done on the weekend. The big question was... I think a lot of Essendon supporters ask whether or not Hooker should be playing forward. Yeah. Look, he played a really good game. Yeah, yeah. He presented and presented. In fact, he was more of a presence, more of a menace than Jumping Joe, to be honest. He, he's a great, he is a great mark, isn't he? You know, really, not that I haven't noticed it before, but he just clunks. Yeah. If he's given the slightest bit of space, he's going to clunk it. And uh, look, he kicked 40-plus goals last year. Danaher, they kicked 100 between them, he and Joe Danaher. I've been a big advocate of the hooker-must-go-back theory. This is the uh, other big win for them, I think. That was sort of predicated on the fact that um, with, say, Paddy Ambrose out, they were going to be relying partly on Michael Hartley and Mitch Brown. I was a bit dubious about their capacity to stand up, and I still would be in an Adelaide forward line that had Walker and Lynch, but they weren't there. And Hartley and Brown, to their credit, were really good for Essendon. I thought all those peripheral players did their job. Langford, yeah, we'll talk about him, but I thought he was really important to it. I'll tell you what well. didn't work. Oh, hang on, one more thing. I thought guys that had poor games until last quarter really came into it, particularly um, McDonald, Tipper, Moody. Yeah. He'd been ordinary until last quarter, but he really set them going in the last quarter. Josh Green came into it. I thought Tom Bell Chambers more than broke even with Jacobs in the ruck. So there were wins all over the ground for them. All right, something doesn't work for us. And yep. I'll tell you now, it's a fact. You cannot have two players in the back line that are risk-takers and independent thinkers and can run themselves into trouble. Saad and McKenna. McKenna and Saad don't work together. Mm. I felt a nervousness and, you know, Essendon's worst period was when Saad kicked the ball out of bounds on yep. the fall from the uh, kick-in. Yep, Douglas got a goal. Correct. And, and Saad, I think the glare came on him more than it ever did at the Gold Coast because at the Gold Coast... Even on field, you were pretty, you know, anonymous. Mm. I don't like. I felt pretty nervous with McKenna and Saad in that back line. I like their pace. I mean, Essendon are going to play a game that has its share of risks. I think they're more often than not worth taking. They're going to be a side that depends far more on attack than defence. Whether they tighten up those defensive midfield numbers or not, quickly Adelaide now. And just, just I know you mentioned Essendon's Adelaide's outs. Yeah. Zach Merritt is hugely important to that too. Taken out of the game. Taken yeah. out of the game. And Gleeson missing too. Well, Ambrose important to that. Again, Gleeson like Brad Crouch, it's long term. So yeah. let's not factor that in. But when you lose a key midfielder at the start of the game, especially the first game of the season where fitness is a factor, yeah. I thought it was a another tick for the bombers. Okay, let's get on to Adelaide very quickly. Uh, absolutely no cause for panic as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they got overrun in the finish. But I thought Gibbs, big plus for them, big tick there. They will get Walker and Lynch back quickly. Crouch, as you say, out for a while, but I think they can withstand that. They'll have key players who play better. Mitch McGovern, for one. For me, they're still a really good side, and uh, I don't. I expect that loss to just be a blip on the radar. Okay, a couple of issues for them. Did they miss Jake Lever against the tall Essendon forward line? Definitely. Yeah, well... Uh, Duda, Dodie, I want to yeah. call him Camp Town Racers, as in Duda, Duda. 
he could definitely fit the bill. I think Alex Keith could come in and play that role yeah, they, as well. Yeah, look, they can, but we're talking top-end football. I'm talking about Adelaide going one step further. All right, well, in a, just tell me this. In a nutshell, are they? do they have any cause for concern on the back of that defeat? Absolutely. Charlie Cameron's a huge loss for them. Mm. I didn't feel that they had that same forward line pressure. As I said, I thought Saad and McKenna were susceptible. Yeah. And I reckon Cameron and Betts would have put the pressure on and made those errors count. A couple of times I reckon they ran into trouble and got away because Cameron wasn't there. I think he's a big loss. All right. We shall see. Time to move on to our second feature game. And we're speaking about the MCG on Saturday evening where Hawthorne, finally, 15-11-101, defeated Collingwood, 9-13-67. I like reading out the scores like this. Bruce, four. Burgoyne and Gunston, two each. Henderson, two. Singles to Smith, Shields, Rioli and Schoenmakers. For the Pies, Crocker, two. Singles to Reed, Howe, Hoskin, Elliott, Sidebottom, Aish, Moore, Thomas. In a nutshell, Collingwood. Same side, same result. Same deficiencies. Nothing wrong with the effort, execution, pretty ordinary. It's what, despair, complain, repeat for Collingwood supporters. Seriously. If you asked a Collingwood supporter at the end of the last year, what were their two main frustrations? They would have said, our usage of the ball and our coach. Yep. Now, I don't know whether you can blame Buckley or not, but he has restructured the team in such a way that Collingwood supporters will despair almost as soon as Cox drops his first mark. And I reckon players feel it. Well, plus you've got a converted defender playing as a key forward and you've got a converted forward playing as a key defender. Their best forward on the night, their best tall forward on the night, Collingwood, was Moore. When he went forward in the last quarter, clunked a mark and he looked good. He actually looked like Peter Moore. But the fact is... Collingwood supporters are so down on Cox after one mistake. Mm. Carlton did it to Hampson. Remember when they sort of started yeah, yeah. booing him? Yeah. And it turned him into a, into a towering jello. So, he was still going out with Megan Gale at that stage, however. Yeah, well, I don't know who Cox goes out with, but I know this much, that by the end of the game, he was a liability. I tell you, if you want to talk about coaching issues, the thing that really intrigues me about the Pies is the fact that last year they were number one for disposals in the competition, yeah. number one for contested ball, um, and yet they were 11th for scores and their percentage of inside 50s converted to goals was, I think, bottom four in the league. That, to me, spells dysfunction and some sort of issue in how the game plan works Every bit as really? much as a skill deficiency. Yeah, it does. I think it's a skill deficiency, and I reckon we can go two ways on this. We can look at the bottom end of their uh, 22. Mm. Phillips, oh, mm, he's not a good ball user. Mm. Or we go top end, Trelaw, mm, he's not a great ball user. Mm. So Adams, another one. Yeah, look, Trelaw and Adams are wonderful ball winners. They're strong, they're bulls at gates. But in a team that desperately cries out for good disposal, and it builds. Pressure builds, doesn't it? This same Richmond team, the core of the Richmond team that have become brilliant users and premiership players, once were so nervy about using the ball that they were considered the biggest wasters in the competition. Mm. And unfortunately, I think we start the season where we left with Collingwood, with players under pressure, not just kicking for goal, but every time they've got the ball in their hand, from their fans 
just the general feeling of I need to hit a target mm. because we don't hit enough is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Enough on them. Let's talk about the Hawks because I, I really, the, I thought the absolute difference between those two sides was in ball use and efficiency and Hawthorne's ability at that top end. I mean, they're the oldest list, they're the most experienced list. They've still got as many absolute class acts as most sides running around, I reckon. Rioli, you know, yeah, I know there's a lot of hype about Rioli, but he had a couple of those classic Rioli moments where he actually created goals and then weighed in on the scoreboard himself. Burgoyne, you know, he's about 53 now, but he still does the business perfectly every week. Gunston, back up forward and looking dangerous. Didn't he look good? Did you see that piece of play in the last quarter where he grabbed the ball and sort of side turned and came yes. out of came out of traffic running yes oh wow he's in he's got touch yeah Luke Bruce similarly I thought Ve- exactly. Bruce looked really energetic back to his absolute best four goals to him uh Sicily down four uh down back is a real winner first big call of the season he'll be all Australian yeah well he, he you can see the confidence in him now not that he's ever been short of it but that is an absolute winner that move I just I, I like the way they look and I think um Every chance, I think, of contending for the top eight at the very least. I think a lot of sides would have looked at them and thought, gee, they've still got some really good players. Two things didn't look good for them. Yep. The injury to Burton, who is mm, correct, who is nominally their most talented young gun, given that he had a broken leg through the TAC Cup lower leg. Mm. There were concerns about his ankle. He, he seemed in distress. Yep. Hopefully it's not too bad. And probably the worst look for them is Ben Stratton taking the piss out of everybody that's uh, teammates watching him. The mullet. The intentional <laughs> greasy mullet. It's hilarious. It is good. I think, uh, hasn't uh, Taylor Duray got one as well? I, I think there might be a competition there. You know, it used to be <laughs> mows and beards. Yeah, yeah. Remember when O'Bree yeah, started the beards? Yeah. Yeah, I think it might be mullets at Hawthorne. Well, you know, they've been watching a replay of the 89 Grand Final and they're all channeling Darren Pritchard and, and Gary Ayres and those guys. And just one Early call by the Hawks that they were going to turn Jarman Impey into an All-Australian. Yeah. We'll have to wait another week for that because he had a pretty nervous start in brown and gold. Yeah, well, 21 games for him to uh, recapture that sort of luster. Hey, or, yeah. I reckon more than 21 games. Okay, yeah, Hawks the finals. There's the first uh, big uh, call of the season. All right, let's move on to our third feature game, Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Geelong winning an absolute thriller over Melbourne by three points. Geelong 14-13-97, defeated Melbourne 13-16-94. Fantastic game right from the start. 11 goals kicked in the first quarter. Bit of a rarity you see that these days. Football from end to end, great skills, high possession tallies and drama. What drama at the MCG at the end, of course. Big Maxi Gorn taking that fantastic mark, only, what, 15 to 20 metres from goal. And a pretty, pretty ordinary kick with 20 seconds left on the clock. Um, you know, the headline out of that, look, Melbourne lost the battle. I don't think they'll necessarily lose the war. You're kidding. But, nah, but great signs for the Cats too, I think, minus Dangerfield. No, you can't use that as I thought a... Melbourne were appalling. Really? Look, oh, Dangerfield on. doesn't play. Yeah. He is... It's not the be-all and end-all. He's one-third of the be-all and end-all for that club, or yeah. one-half of You're it last season. You're not outside Geelong. Is it such a shame to lose by three points they, to Geelong? They were, they were f- full of rookies. They lost Harry Taylor very early in the game. Mm. This was a side there for the taking. Come on. But what, mean, okay, but if, if, say, Gorn nails that goal, what would you... Would you be saying this still? Lucky escape. I mean, I watched the game. I watched it in full, and I was... 
frustrated by the inability of Melbourne players to stand up and take a role in the midfield because that's where Selwood and Ablett were holding the game at bay and getting mm. first use. Salem started well for 15 seconds. He was so disappointing. 12 touches. He was an opportunity. Petrarca did not spend enough time in the midfield. Simon Goodwin got very cute at the start of the last quarter. Do you see he started in the centre square for the first bounce in the last quarter? I can't remember off the top of my head, no. Hogan. Hogan! Well, you know, look, call me old-fashioned, but when you've got a full forward and he had a good end to the third quarter with a lot of touches, Melbourne are coming, you've got a full forward, it's time for the full forward, and he's done this before, to stand up, mark the ball, and get you the win. There was only one goal kicked by either team in the last quarter, and he became invisible after starting in the middle. Petrarca should have been in the middle. That they just nobody stood up to do the midfield work. Neil Bullen was iffy. His kicking was poor. After a great preseason, I was really disappointed in an opportunity missed. Well, hang on. Melbourne's at home. No Dangerfield. Mm -hmm. Taylor off very early in the game. Rookie after rookie playing for Geelong. Mm -hmm. Honestly, who's no Viney for Melbourne? He's pretty important to the mix. Yeah, but he's, he's, again, it's a long-term... Yeah, re yeah, well, I reckon, you're going, well, I reckon you're going the early crow bit here. And I, not, I just think we want Melbourne to step up. People are, are, are taking well, Melbourne... Well, I thought they did. They were nearly five goals down. People are taking Melbourne from outside the eight to a premiership chance. Well, you've got to beat a winged Geelong at the MCG. Yeah. It's not, it's not um, GMBHAVLT Stadium. Well, once upon a time, that nearly five-goal deficit would have turned into a ten-goal... Belting, so I think at least, you know, they're not there yet, but I, I think they're on the way. Petrarca rushes his shot at goal, Clayton Oliver doesn't take yeah, it. And Menzel missed two from 15 metres. Melbourne lose a game. So you're not hanging it on the cats, and very quickly, we've got to move on. Right. But Melbourne lose a game they should have won. Mate. Disappointed you couldn't uh, have a go at Salem without using the analogy about burning him at the stake. I didn't um, want to turn this into a... An inquisition. A witch hunt? Yeah, a witch hunt. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> We're going to write all these gags down and, and uh, save up our material for later in the season. All right, they are our three feature games. Six more played, of course. Don't worry, fans of those clubs. We're not leaving you high and dry. Let's go through them chronologically. Like they used to on World of Sport. <sighs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. The, the one camera stuff with no commentary. Uh, don't worry, people 50 and over will know what we're talking about there. Uh, all right, Carlton-Richmond, Thursday evening. Richmond, pretty efficient win in the end, 26. But I thought it was one of those games that were a bit of a win-win. A I know Carlton want to get past honourable losses, but I thought for the best part they were pretty decent. There were some good signs. Yeah, I agree with that because they had Kurnow, much trumpeted, deliver on a very big stage in front of 90,000 fans. Cruiser was injured in the second half. Casbolt actually proved okay in the ruck. Their back line has some good players in it. Yeah, I, I think Carlton leave the game without the points, but actually, which they always do for the first round of the season, encouraged, but this time I think there might be some substance to it. Kurnow and Wright, five each. When was the last time two Carlton players kicked ten between them? Might have been... Uh, Ross Dixburn who kicked a lot. I was going to say, might have been Ross Dixburn <laughs> and Alex Marcoux or, or something. All right, uh, Eddie had Stadium Saturday afternoon, St Kilda, Brisbane, 25 points to the Saints. I thought one of the less inspiring games and wins of the round. I looked at the Saints and thought, you still look a bit pedestrian to me. Brisbane, 
some signs there, but they're still a fair bit short of the mark. Yeah, I agree. Uh, St Kilda, for a fair portion of the game, uh, had the same issues that they had the previous season, which is a lack of a game-breaker. But Jack Stephen is that man, and he did stand up and do it. David He's Armitage, right. definitely encouraging having him back in the midfield. Paddy McCartan kicked the first goal for St Kilda and didn't do much thereafter, so there's no real answer to how that forward line is going to operate. The good news for the Saints, Jack Billings now plays very good football almost every week. Really, he finished last year well. I thought he was close to St Kilda's best. Blake Akers played well as a good game. Kobe Stevens, who I didn't think would make the team, played okay. So there were some good signs. Quick word on Brisbane. Oh, that forward line doesn't work. Eric Hipwood needs to get the ball. Mm. Good news, Rayner looks nice. Yeah. McLuggage petered out a bit, but we know that he's got some obvious class. I love Dane Burns. I, I officially have a man crush on Dane Burns. You know what? I thought he was really disappointing. There? Yeah, I thought he Jeez, also did not... Today. Well, he didn't finish the game off. As St Kilda got hold of it, yeah. he disappeared. In fact, I thought Brisbane's best was Berry. He was good. Yeah, no, he, he, looks, uh, he looks really, really good. All right, let's move on to our next one. Port Adelaide, 50-point winners over Fremantle. Now, like a lot of people finding, I'm really bullish about the power. I've got them second on my ladder, and I was completely the opposite about Frio. I had them 17th, and I've got to admit, I saw that game, and I see no reason to waver in either call. I thought Port... All over them right from the start. I thought uh, great flexibility. I love how Jack Watts is looking. Um, I like Boak playing forward. Ryder is a concern. There's no doubt that's going to be a bit of an issue for them, but I think it's one they can overcome. They've got great midfield now. And great the fact that Gray, Wingard, Boak can all play as legitimate midfielders or small forwards, it just gives that group an extra dimension that I think other sides don't have. Frio, where are they going? I mean, you know, they're still very reliant on Sandilands and Fife, and they talk about those kids, but I didn't see many of them exerting much influence. You know, the talk out of the game was a great debut by Watts, Motlop. You know, they both played really yeah. well. Uh, who's the third uh, pickup that they got? I think there's three. Rockcliffe. Rockcliffe. He was quieter. Uh, none of them are as important <clears throat> as how well Riley Bonner played. He was good. Yeah. Oh, that's really important. Coming, yeah. coming out of the back line... Um, Jasper Pittard might be injured, but he's also risky. Yeah, I think Bonnet. I'm starting to, I'm starting to catch the vibe. Yeah, no, they've got uh, their defence particularly completely unheralded. Also significantly, um, Pal Pepper going the nude nut. I don't know what was the inspiration for that, but I liked it. I liked it. I mean, some misshapen and heads look. Maybe he's gone salt and pepper, and he has to shave. You know, I doubt it. He's about twenty, isn't he? Uh, Marcus Ashcroft was salt and pepper <laughs> before he got his driver's license. That's one thing we can say. We've both still got hair, which gives us an edge on some people our age. Okay, next one. The underwater game played up in Cairns. The first for AFL football. It must have been perilously close to being called off that game. It was ridiculous, the sheets of water all over the place. I don't know if you can read anything into that, really, but credit to Gold Coast. 
North got the early break. Gold Coast came back, beat them by 16 points, which in those well, conditions... Well, I think maybe the other way around. What's that? Well, North kicked a goal in the first quarter, but it was five goals to one at half-time. Gold Coast... Yeah, well, I said early, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was it, was five, it was five goals to one. North hit the front. Yeah, and a 16-point win in those conditions, probably the equivalent of five or six goals. Now, a lot to like about the Suns. I mean, what was going on? There? As, look, there was no win there, and... Up one end, there were no goals. Mm. Was that ground sort of backing on to the fence of a woman who doesn't throw the ball back? No. Well, so they that, were scared to kick no, it over no, the fence? No, it was the, the end there were no goals scored at was the deep end, finally. They had to they had to score the goals in the shallow end. And hopefully when both sides get to play on an actual football ground rather than a swimming pool, we'll get a better indication of how they go. That's I'm, enough on that game. Yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't have footy in the top end, but the only thing I'd like seeing... To, the only thing that really belongs in Cairns is baked beans. Yeah, and hello to all our viewers up in far north Queensland. And uh, GWS Western Bulldogs Sunday afternoon in Canberra, an absolute shellacking of the classic variety. 82 points to the Giants. They looked awesome. Couldn't have gone any worse for the Doggies. Not only have they been spanked, but Tom Liberatore looks like they've lost him for the rest of the season with a ruptured ACL. Couldn't have gone any worse. Many years ago, the Queen, Her Majesty, spoke of Annus Horribilis. Mm -hmm. This was Sunday Horribilis for the Bulldogs in every respect. They lose Liberatore. They lose momentum. They must start questioning a coach who picks odd teams. Crozier straight in, but others couldn't get a game. I, I find the Bulldogs now... If I was a Bulldog supporter, I'd be watching that DVD from 2016 and nothing else. The Giants, awesome, very quickly. Uh, you know, there were times last year their forward setup struggled. Certainly didn't struggle in Canberra. You had uh, six goals to Cameron, four goals to Toby Green, two goals to Patton. That's, That's a exact, big plus yeah. for Zach Langdon. Yeah, They've terrific. got a tough nut yeah. in the forward line, a genuine hard at it, keep the ball in the forward line, Feeder offerer. Yeah, no, they're uh, look. Some some people are wondering whether the Giants have just enough to win a flag. I think today probably answered that question in a fairly emphatic fashion. And round one wrapped up on Sunday evening in Perth, of course, at the new venue, Optus Stadium, with the Swans. You know, a typical Sydney victory. Really, they grounded we're out. We stood a comeback. I yeah, mean. yeah. Look, West Coast really challenged them, but. The Swans got the job done, not for the first time. Superlative performance from Buddy Franklin. Yeah, look, the Swans, the way they started last year, Rowan, 0-6, and six, yeah. you give them game number one over in WA against the Eagles, albeit at a new ground, mm. they'll take any win. So they take this win and they look forward to a much better first month than last year. Just quickly on the midfield too, we always talk about Parker, Hannabury, Kennedy. Heaney and Lloyd, you know, they're, they're not peripheral players, but guys who are becoming just as important to that midfield group as that big three. And I think that might be undersold a little bit with the Swans. They're going to be thereabouts again for mine. They'll play much better midfields than the West Coast, though. That is wraparound for round one. And coming up now, it's time for Hot or Not. Rightio, time for hot or not. Three points from each of us. You're either hot or you're not. I'm going to be mainly positive today, but you're going to open the batting finey. What are you starting with? Look, I'm starting negative, but I'm going to be mainly positive later on. Is that okay? Good. Uh, not hot, Luke Beveridge. Mm. Outsmarting himself. Two 
clever for his own good. You know, when I saw the interchange from on Thursday night, I assumed that there, there would be a smattering of midfield experience in there, which they definitely needed before Liberatore went down. I was shocked that the three guys that didn't make the team were Ling Jong, Caleb Daniel mm. and Tory Dixon. Look, they went with young English. He performed okay, but they were too tall. He really didn't work up forward. Uh, Williams, uh, a couple of other interesting selections. Well, d just quickly, D Daniel's a particularly interesting one because I reckon he's one of probably three players on that whole list who you would say had a better year last year than they had in 2016? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was a better season, but he didn't certainly put a hole in his manners like a lot of other Bulldogs players did. Mm. Um, he, so he was he, no Bailey Dale. So but, what's he up to, do you think? Well, I just think he's, he's overthinking it. Mm. And I am really down on coaches that make a decision and despite the whole world telling them that it's wrong, they have to stick with it. Now, Eastern Wood was hardly a success in the JLT. 12 <clears> kicks, <throat> two goals in two games. He was all at sea. You know, even in aerial contests, he was beaten by Heath Shaw on the weekend. So the fact is, Luke Beveridge is almost, he's almost thumbing his nose at convention and going the unusual route. It worked a couple of years ago, but I think he's got quite a few players that would be het up with the lack of security with their position in the team. Very strange selection, and it paid no dividends against GWS. OK, strong words from you, Mark Fine. I'm doing the glass half full, or actually, no, glass totally full approach, unusually for me perhaps, but I'm starting with a hot, and his name is Kyle Langford of the Essendon Football Club. Pretty interesting subject, Kyle. He's been on the list for a few years now. Been a pretty slow developer, I think, as Jaden Laverde has. Hasn't had the injury issues that Laverde has, though. He spent most of the second half of last season back in the VFL being developed as a mid. Now, I must admit, I'm one of a lot of sceptics who uh, thought, yeah, OK, maybe. And then he turned in, like a lot of teammates, a stinker in JLT1 and didn't play in the second one, and I thought, wow, you know, your cards might be marked. David Myers might be the man coming in. Myers gets injured. Langford gets his spot in the side back for round one, and he played a blinder. He was a, I thought he was really important to Essendon's win. 23 disposals. It's not huge, but it's, I think it's as many as he's had in a senior game. He was strong at the ball. He won his share of clearances, made decent decisions with the ball, and it just took me back, actually, to 2009 when Andrew Swallow couldn't make the North Melbourne side for the first game of the year, came in as a late inclusion, ended up having an absolute ripper and a fa fantastic season. I just wonder if that is the um, drop of confidence that Langford needed, and he hopefully will go on and be a big part of that midfield all year. Well, he was really minister with our portfolio before this yeah. season. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know exactly where he played. A rangy forward, yeah. troublesome wing player. Now, with some vacancies in the Essendon midfield, especially for hard-at-the-ball hard players, yeah. he's got a spot. Yeah, good. Your, your turn. I'll see your bomber and raise you a bomber. Yeah, which one? I've got no doubt this was James Stewart's best-ever game of football. He was fantastic. He's proven already to be handy up forward as a third forward with Danaher mm. and Hooker. Good for two or three goals, some of them over the top. A, a touch of the Jenkins about him a bit last year, not on a Friday night. First of all, he presented, he marked well,
But how well did he do in the ruck against Jacobs mm. when called into that service? I thought it was his best game. Look, he's been twice rejected already in his AFL career. Unloved by Collingwood, who overlooked him as a father-son selection. And there were problems with that. Snagglepuss, the father, very upset. Craig. Because it happened around the time of his VCE exams. Yeah. And it really impacted upon him. Yeah. And GWS, you know, it's a hard place to get a regular spot. Establish oneself. I thought Essendon had a better man in McKernan when he arrived. Mm. What did you think? I, oh, no, I, I, I'm with you entirely. And I think, I thought he was pretty good last year, but the concern was probably he, yeah, he was a third tall, but he didn't really play as a tall. He wasn't a marking target. His, his best work was probably at ground level. And that was the thing I really noticed on Friday night. He was, he was taking the grabs. So as Collingwood's forward line and back line desperately need talented talls, mm. you know, Mason Cox, and we'll talk about them later. Mm. You've got Kelly, father, son, overlooked playing for Adelaide, and you've got Stewart, father-son, overlooked playing for Essendon. Wouldn't Collingwood love those two players to shore up a few problems? Well, those are the vagaries of list management. Okay, my turn, and this one is a knot, and it's a rule, and I suspect we're going to talk about this one a lot, and it's a bloody stupid sliding rule. Now, it penalised Collingwood badly at a critical time in the second quarter on Saturday night, uh, Langdon was the man penalised, came, uh, dived in for a ball at ground level. Jack Gunston got to the contest second, which is the important part here. Langdon gets penalised. Now, this whole rule, in my view, was a complete overreaction to the Lindsay Thomas Gary Rowan incident, broken leg incident, which I think was back in 2012. We haven't had a repeat of that. That's not because of the rule. And I think as often as not now, the guy who gets to the contest first ends up getting penalised. Now, that is just fundamentally, philosophically wrong, Finey. The game is founded upon winning the footy. Now, if you can't have an attempt at getting the football first because you're worried about a guy who can't beat you to the football might have kept his feet and you've got to make way for a guy that can't get to the ball first, isn't that just completely wrong? It's really vexed. I understand why the rule's there, and as much as it looks as though it hasn't really been needed since that Lindsay Thomas incident, it is needed. It's good at a player called Robert Eddy, you might remember him, played yeah. his last two games in grand finals. He was a human cannonball, not the most skilled player, but he was happy to go low and hard. He could have ended some careers. Now, players are very good now at what they're allowed to get away with. And the fact that they're not allowed to slide after the ball is good, especially if we have wet conditions, <clears throat> it'd be mayhem. That being said, on the other hand, you are correct, because if you're there first, players are becoming quite good at tripping over you and asking for the free. Did you see the first game of today, Asava um, Bruhaha for Geelong? <laughs> uh, we'll work out his name as the season continues. He went low and hard for a ball, got penalised. The Melbourne player got the free kick. And the umpire said to him, the only thing he said to him was, you've gone too hard. Mm. I have never heard that before in football. You've gone for the ball too hard. Well, that's the sort of thing we're encouraging. And call me a dinosaur, but you must be allowed to go to the football first, whether it's on your feet, whether it's on your knees, or whether it's on your bloody head. That is one of the fundamentals of the game. So I'm pretty strong on that one. Over to you for your last. Okay, I've got a hot, and I love this player. I, amazing, you know, I, I'm not known as a Carlton lover, 
and certainly not Adelaide reject Lover. But Matthew Wright came to Carlton. He actually came with another Adelaide player, Sam Kerridge, and I thought they were about the same. They're not. Matthew Wright is a ripper, and on Thursday night in the season open, it was all about Charlie Kernow. Do you know he, when he kicked his fifth goal, Kernow, that was the first time a player had kicked five goals under Brendan Bolton? Yeah. So Brendan Bolton effectively had to wait 44 and a half games to see somebody kick five goals, and then he had to wait another 15 minutes to see somebody else kick their fifth goal because Matthew Wright kicked five as well. He topped the goal kicking in his first year at Carlton with 22. Mm. By the way, the lowest margin yeah. since 1964. Lowest Carlton. tally. Lo- lowest tally yeah. for a goal kicker since 64. Do you know who kicked 18 and 64 and topped their goal kicking? Uh, just trying to think. Who were they? I'll having... give you a clue. Yeah, go on. He had the name, first and surname, of a much more famous footballer. He shared a name with a Geelong champion. Wade? Ian Nancurvis. Oh, really? Ian D. Nancurvis for Carlton topped the goal kicking with 18 goals. Okay, well, there's one to file away, probably never to be used again. But, but I love know, Matthew, I love Matthew it. Wright. And, it's been good. And in all the Kurnow f- fervour, which is justified, don't forget Matthew Wright continues to slot them. 22, 30 goals last year, second in the goal kicking, and equal first this year after one round with five. Just on that, I mean, they've, they've copped a little bit of flack about the number of guys they've picked up from other clubs, but I reckon the bulk of them have been okay, at yeah, least serviceable. Yeah, mainly the GWS surfeit. Yeah. Here's the criticism, but the ones from other clubs have been good. Well, your club did pretty well out of Carlton Rejects for a, quite a while in the mm, mid-80s. Yeah, that was great. For me. All right, um, uh, sorry, a very low blow there and totally gratuitous. Last one to finish off, and it's a hot, and it goes to Stuart Dew. Coach of the Gold Coast, one win from one. Actually, I prefer to think of it finally as three wins from three because they had two good wins in the JLT, first over the Cats and then over Brisbane. In all these three games, two of them admittedly have been played in terrible... In fact, we almost had AFL football's first underwater game up there in Cairns. It was ridiculous. But he has got them playing a much stronger, more contested, uh, harder-nosed brand of football, which I think when combined with their skills, which have always been okay, uh, I think has instantly given them that degree more competitiveness. And look, one game in... I tipped him to win the wooden spoon, but I'm already very nervous about it because I think there's enough talent in there that aligned to a greater degree of hardness could see them improve pretty rapidly. But I'm wrapped for Stewie Dew. He's a good bloke. He's done his apprenticeship at Sydney. Um, you know, we love what he did in that 2008 grand final. Played in one for, for Port. He's a good man. And, um, you know, he, I like the way he approached that win too. He said, look, I'm learning on the job. You know, I admit it. And he's... He's not going to pretend he knows the whole caper back to front, but he's got off to a good start. His players clearly are enthused and willing to do what he requires, and uh, he couldn't have started his coaching career any better. So, well done, Stuart Dew. Just very quickly on Gold Coast. Yep. Uh, there's a school of thought that says all these games played away from Metricon. Yep. Getting the team on the road, bonding, camaraderie, post-Gary Ablett is actually not a bad thing. Uh, has worked for other teams before. The Victorian cricket team did very well for a couple of seasons when they were travelling up to Alice Springs to play home games. It, it might just be the tonic that unifies what has been a pretty dis, disharmonious lot. Yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable point. Time, of course, will tell whether it proves valid or not. That's it for Hot or Not this week. Time now for the world-famous Rant Off. 
Okay, it's that time again, Finey. After a brief pause, we are resuming our rant-offs, the angst of two middle-aged men channeled down the barrel for your listening pleasure and angst. And I am filthy today, Finey, like the rest of the Australian sporting public, about the disgrace going on in Cape Town, South Africa. Ball tampering. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, no, no, no. Australian cricket. What have you done? But I have adapted and harnessed that anger for a football context, Mark Fine. Okay. I'm ready to rant, and I want you to count me in. Three, two, over. I'm pissed off about the cricket, Finey. It's not just the cheating or the lying or the fact that after centuries of crapping onto the world about how hard but fair we are, we've been exposed as a bunch of complete hypocrites. I'm pissed off mainly because Steve Smith and his bunch of ball tamperers have taken all the attention away from the start of a new AFL season. This was a corker of a first round. Carlton got to tease their supporters again. Essendon played about 20 minutes of decent footy and now the Dons reckon they're going to win the flag. Collingwood still can't hit a target, and we almost had the AFL's first ever underwater game up in Cairns. Highlights everywhere. But some idiot over in Cape Town rubs a cricket ball on some sticky tape, and now no one's talking about any of the footy. What does the AFL have to do for attention? What can we do to compete? Maybe Trent Cotchin should get young Shy Bolton to tuck a bit of sandpaper in his dax next week to try to scuff the ball up. That should put an extra 10 metres on Dusty's kicks out of the centre square. Maybe Joel Selwood could confess to having sat there with all his teammates pre-game, come up with a plan to cheat, and then suddenly realise miraculously, after being caught on about 25 different cameras, that it wasn't in the spirit of the game. No, no, maybe not. It'd never work. Because while footballers aren't always the sharpest tools in the shed, they're not dumb enough to think they'd get away with that. No, only overpaid test cricketers living in a complete bubble with no morals, insight or grip on reality could be that bloody stupid! You are upset. Oh, they've, they've, they've trod on our sporting reputation, Mark. They've, they've toyed with our emotions. They've made us love them and now we realise they're frauds. They're cheats. But they're brilliant because that was the old Andrew Dimitriou tactic. There's no such thing as a bad article or a bad headline as long as it was about the AFL. <laughs> they're reading from the hymn book, mate. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I think the consequences are going to be rather grave. Okay, I've got that off my chest and I feel better for it. Time now for you to rant. I am going to count you in three, two, one, rant. And I'm glad you said 3, 2, 1, Rowan, because my first rant of the season is all about numbers. You see, I'm an anorak at heart, and I love statistics. Lies, damn lies and statistics. Well, forget that, because round one of AFL action gave me more records, more numbers, more stats to drool over than David King could even have come up with. Have a listen to a few of these. We all know that Tom Mitchell broke the record for the most number of possessions in a game. 54, topping Greg Williams. Oh, Greg would have loved that. But there were more amazing goings on. Did you know that in the game up in Cairns, that underwater game that you love so much, even though there wasn't any wind, all the goals were kicked to one end of the ground. 12 goals up one end, none up the other end. I guess that's why they had such a low crowd. People at the other end must have gone home. 3,722. The lowest crowd since 3,059 ventured to see Brisbane take on Footscray at Carrara in 1992. 
that being the lowest crowd since the war, 1942, when Collingwood took on Geelong in front of only 3,000 draft dodgers. There were more amazing numbers. Do you know in the game between Melbourne and Geelong, all first gamers kicked a goal by half-time? Kelly, no son of James Kelly, I worked that out pretty early. Asava Freaks, he kicked a point with his first kick, a goal with his second after a great mark. And Fogarty, more amazing stats came pouring out throughout the weekend and ending, of course, with Max Gorn being a, a bit of a Melbourne's Gorn type of player missing with only 15 seconds to go. The numbers were great in round one, Rowan. I love stats, I love football, and they're both back. Very good. And, and positive, too. You, you are a man of, of numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm, I'm just thinking this now, but do you think Fogarty should be called Credence for obvious reasons? Yeah, look, I mean, the Fogartys were great uh, with Credence Clearwater Revival. You know, there, there was a whole family of Fogartys played in the early days of league football for university, no, for Melbourne, know. for St Kilda, and many of them went to the First World War and sadly didn't come back. University, of course, that storied club that folded in 1915, which is around the time we were both born, Mark. Yeah, not true. Not true. No, not true at all. Anyway, we're off. We're running. Round one, fantastic weekend of footy. We're going to do this every week, so I hope you like it. We're up for more if you are. Footyology returns this time next week. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, we've also got a podcast, Rowan, every Tuesday. Every Thursday, Mark. Well, you can turn up on Tuesday, but no one will be there. I will be turning up on Thursday. So the audio version on a Thursday? No, the audio version of this will be up very shortly after this, and there'll be another audio-only podcast on Thursday morning. I'm confused, but then again, I'm Mark Fine. And that's your final thought? It is. I think there's something in that for all of us. We'll see you next week.